This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Corey Rosenbush, President and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Foreign subsidies are a threat to the U.S. sugar industry. Learn more about the Zero for Zero bill at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with TFI's Corey Rosenbush next. America's sugar growers are among the most efficient and sustainable in the world. But billions of dollars in foreign sugar subsidies distort the global market and put U.S. producers at a disadvantage. Weakening America's no-cost sugar policy without first reforming the global sugar market would hurt family farms, jeopardize good-paying jobs, and weaken the supply chain that puts sugar on consumers' tables. A new bill called Zero for Zero takes action to zero out all foreign subsidies and level the playing field. Learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. There's no bigger question regarding the 2022 crop year than the price and availability of crop inputs. The Fertilizer Institute's Corey Rosenbush says a perfect storm of circumstances is fueling uncertainty for fertilizer for farmers around the world. It is a complex dynamic that is really all laid on a foundation that fertilizer is traded in a global marketplace. And that alone has probably been the single biggest factor that have influenced the fertilizer markets that we've been seeing here for the last uh, really year. Uh, 90% of all fertilizer used in the world actually gets used outside of the United States. So for an American farmer or, or fertilizer company, uh, that, that global nature of the commodity is, is so important. And from a farm perspective, if you think about it, 21% of the global uh, crops that are grown or exported fertilizer, it's 43%. So it's almost double the amount of, of product that ends up traded on the global market. Lay over the top of that, the pandemic, where we saw forecasted demand uh, declining, but then actually improved. And so planning was affected to respond to that demand. Um, we saw the winter storms that impacted not only natural gas uh, producers that make up 85% of the cost of producing nitrogen, but impacted some of those plants as well. Add in the hurricane that hit uh, Louisiana and uh, really, uh, you know, shut down plants. Ida shut down plants for a few weeks. So, so we had these weather-related events uh, turn to, to that natural gas issue in Europe. I mean, natural gas has, has gone up by over 200% since March. And, you know, we've seen about 40% of the nitrogen in Europe that has been taken offline because, you know, $25 plus natural gas just uh, does not become a feasible venture for for producers. And then layer in trade issues, whether that's Belarus or the Chinese blockage of, of phosphate and, and nitrogen exports, all of this colliding at the perfect time has set up a, a really a challenging market dynamic, especially for, for growers and those trying to serve those growers into 2022. However, all that said, then, as we look forward, we are a very traditional supply-demand market. And so if prices maintain what they are going into next year, that would tell you that perhaps demand might be a little bit less. 
and so therefore we we should be fine on the supply side. With that said, because it is such a global market, it does mean a lot of our member companies that may not have produced because of some of these weather-related or natural gas-related events have had to look to bring in product from outside to import it. And when you do that, you're much more exposed to the global marketplace. But with with demand and these prices going into spring, I, I think from a supply standpoint, we're not going to see any major catastrophes. There will always be supply challenges that we experience every year just because of the narrow window to apply uh, nutrients in the spring and the complex logistics of getting those nutrients to where they need to be. I'm, I'm here at the uh, ARA, the Ag Retailers Convention, and uh, in talking to a lot of those retailers, thankfully the fall has been uh, very productive, and a lot of that split nitrogen application and getting that on the ground in the fall has been tracking really well, and I think that bodes well for what we'll experience in the spring, too. If we look at history or if we look at the sheds across the country we're stored now or the production capacity between here and the time of use, what does the supply-demand situation look like right now? Yeah, great great question. So we do track that, does our international partner, EFA, and we make that available to, to our membership. I don't have the exact number and again, it depends upon the, the, the actual nutrient you're talking about. But because of those events I spoke of earlier, we did see production that potentially is going to be down for the year, somewhere between 8 and 13 percent. You know, alone, nitrogen back in February took an 18 percent dip in production. When you've got 60 percent of the, the country's nitrogen production in that Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, corridor that was impacted so hard by those storms, it's naturally going to have an impact. I don't think we're denying that by any means. It doesn't mean you have to reach out and replace some of that production with the imports to ensure that you have supply. Now, what is interesting is everyone has a great memory. And Jeff, I was not around in 2008, but everyone I talked to has uh, a battle scar. And as I, as I referenced that, I'm sure they're all re- reflecting on what those, those battle scars were. And, and what happened in 2008, you saw this really steep run-up in prices, followed by a very quick uh, crash. And so a lot of companies were stuck with uh, being a bit long on inventory, and I think everybody remembers that, and I think people are very cautious to want to uh, take too big of a risk. It's all about mitigating that risk. And um, I was talking with a retailer today who said, look, we're, we're really going out and talking to all of our farmers. We're getting commitments. We're getting contracts so that we are as precise as we possibly can be with what that supply is going to need to be going into the spring. So thinking then about supply and thinking about demand, there's one element that I'm not sure that all producers embrace at this point. There was a time that the U.S. was the biggest producer of crops in the world. We're not the big dog at the table anymore with regard to some crops. And when you mentioned that 90% of fertilizer use is happening outside of the U.S., that tells us that we, at this point, if supplies are down, there are a lot of people bidding for those stocks. That is exactly what is happening. And I think as you know, farmers um, start to think about U.S. producers, you really do have to think about, again, that global marketplace. So let me give you a couple of examples of what drives those markets. Um, China is responsible for 30%, a third almost, of the entire global nitrogen production. 
and produces about 40% of the global phosphate. You, you want to talk about those global impacts, and then you look at where that product's going from an import perspective. India imports more ammonia than anyone else, and Brazil uh, more phosphates than, than any other country, followed closely by, by India. And um, so, so what's happening in China and Brazil and India and, and you know, the other countries that are supplying them are what's dictating this marketplace more than anything. And when China decided to block nitrogen and phosphate exports and have said, look, we, we've got to serve the Chinese farmer first, and uh, you remove that 30% from the marketplace, and, and that, that then results in, in India that receives a lot of that product and releasing tenders where urea is, what, north of $1,100 a ton, that's what has a big impact on the market. And so from a global perspective, the United States still trades at a discount compared to what we see happening in, in China and India and some other countries in the world. We are preparing as the fertilizer industry our own op-ed to help ensure that misinformation isn't being circulated. You know, some of the numbers and statistics around market share are just you know, incorrect, and we want to make sure some of that gets corrected, but also to make sure the full picture is being painted as well. Even with some of the tariff situations that are out there, you remove them. You know, is it going to move the needle? I can't say it's not going to move the needle. Is it going to automatically make fertilizer prices turn back to where they were a year ago or two years ago? No, because the market dynamics are a lot more complex. So we just want to make sure farmers aren't being misled that it is, um, you know, a certain specific topic or issue that's that's creating the current market situation. And we think farmers deserve uh, accurate, correct information, and they can, they can make their own their own decisions and and uh, have those conversations about it. Um, at the same time, um, again, we are we are very neutral in those cases. I know a lot of people ask us what our position is. I have members that are literally studying across the board table on different sides of the conversation. I think what's fascinating to me about some of the trade cases is it's it's not really a policy conversation. Um, this is largely a, a calculation that's done. Think about it as almost a Supreme Court exercise of independent commissioners and for, you know, uh, people to weigh in, politicians to weigh in, or policy, um, from a policy standpoint, that's just not how the process works. Um, and, and so also educating folks on, on what the ITC is, what it's not, um, that it is an independent organization, almost like the court system, so that, that they understand um, uh, how these cases proceed and, and what happens, regardless of, of what the final outcome is. Well, the point of the matter is, can I get the nutrient when I want it, when I need it? Good, great question. And again, I will just reiterate that everyone that I have spoken to um, about supply um, do not see a sky is falling scenario. Every year we do encounter supply chain challenges. Um, that is not unique to this time uh, period uh, that, that we see this in the rest of the world with, with COVID, but we've always had challenges of making sure that fertilizer is where it needs to be at the right time because of that short growing window. Generally speaking, there will be product available. Um, farmers are going to have to communicate early uh, with their retailers about what they're planning and expecting. And I think probably what's going to have the, 
The biggest impact on the fact that we will have supply available is the fact that, uh, again, supply demand when prices are this high, farmers are going to probably cut back on how much they use. I was talking to a farmer group, Innovative Ag, out in, out in Iowa and to co-op and you know, they, they just straw polls indicated that they're probably going to um, have about a 15% swing to, to soybeans just because it uses less nitrogen. So I think some of the demand will decline, um, and the supply demand will work itself out to where the supply will be there and it will be available. I don't expect that we're going to um, major catastrophe come the spring other than normal regional product-specific challenges. Now, with that said, there will be situations, and, and I like to use the example, you walk into a restaurant, you want a soda, you order a Coke, and they bring you a Pepsi, and you didn't want a Pepsi, you wanted a Coke. Um, you may see that with nitrogen product. You may want UAN, and there may not be UAN, so you may have to use an alternate uh, product, you may have to use urea or something else. But nitrogen in general, I think, would, would be available um, if farmers are planning ahead. Corey, not trying to draw you into a fight, but clearly uh, the National Corn Growers Association have an issue with one particular company that has asked for tariffs on fertilizers being imported into the country. Is this issue just over tariffs? I think we all in the industry are, are pulling together. You know, we all want uh, productive agriculture. We have to feed the planet. And, you know, we, we have a great deal of sympathy towards the farmer. I, I grew up um, on a farm. My grandfather was a farmer and rancher in Texas and spent time, you know, harvesting oats in his combine. And, and I saw firsthand just the, the thin margins that he as a farmer lived upon. And, and um, you know, there, there's, there's no conspiracy theory um, by any means that uh, is disrespectful to the farmer. Um, with that said, where we've been trying to especially spend a lot of our efforts, the, I think we're up to 28 presentations now uh, to farm groups. Uh, joined the sugar beet growers and spoke to them. Uh, next week I'll be at the North Carolina Farm Bureau. Uh, we really want to make sure that farmers have all of the education and information and they're not um, emotionally reacting perhaps to something they read in the news or uh, heard heard um, heard on a social media feed because this this issue is definitely the the, the current market is so much bigger than any trade case um, even removing those trade cases um, from from the equation right now would still present a very uh, strong fertilizer market uh, because of the things that that I mentioned earlier it's weather related it's globally market driven. You know, I would say that Russia blocking um, or, or putting quotas on some of its exports uh, are having uh, an issue or, or challenging the marketplace. Same with Egypt. So it is it is very hard for us as an industry um, when the direct attack on a very specific trade case doesn't clearly paint the entire reality and truth of what's going on in the marketplace. And so our, our effort is to do the best we can to make sure um, everyone is educated on on how dynamic it is and, and that there's 10 to 12 different factors that are influencing price beyond just those cases. We talked about supply demand. We talked about the global dynamics of those that are using nutrients. Now let's take it down to infrastructure. Do we have the transportation means? Do we have the infrastructure? Do we have the ability to move the product from where 
it's manufactured or whether it's uh, where it's imported and to get it to the farmers that need it in the rural areas of the country. Do you anticipate issues there? Um, we we uh, really applaud the infrastructure bill and, and what was passed. And I would say if you look at potential liabilities of the supply chain, it's it's really the investment in American infrastructure that poses the biggest concern for our members. Um, we need to make sure those funds get deployed quickly, especially to the waterways where um, a large percentage of those nutrients move uh, to get into the fields. Well, still, those uh, the infrastructure bill is a window of about a decade to get projects done. My question is about the movement of anhydrous ammonia. Let's take that, where now you've seen a precipitous increase of anhydrous moving on the rail. Uh, are the rail lines open to a point? Can they get the cars? Can can we do the things again that, that get the product to the farmer when he needs it and wants to apply it for his crop? We, we saw one of the major ammonia pipelines um, shut down, and so we, we do see a shift um, to rail uh, to move anhydrous. Unfortunately, the, um, the rail industry has increased prices uh, to move anhydrous by over 200% in the last decade. And so there's definitely um, a sense that there's, uh, we're trying to deter the movement of anhydrous, um, which is a chemical that perhaps doesn't want to be handled, but we really do depend upon those uh, railways. To, to get that product through. We've been working very closely with the Surface Transportation Board. Um, we had a couple of their members, the STB board members, that joined the TFI Transportation Conference we had a few weeks ago in Savannah where we talked about this very issue and need uh, for the STB to, um, you know, hold rail accountable uh, for um, making sure that those rates and, and assets are available so that they could move uh, those nutrients throughout the country. Um, obviously, the pipeline shutdown just pushes more of that onto the roads and rails. So let's drift to a question about regulation. Regulation from the production and manufacturing of the product to the transportation of the product and even then of farmers in their application of product in the field. Are there regulatory red tape hurdles that are challenging the fertilizer industry today? Jeff, how many hours do we have on this topic? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a complex one, and we could cover a, a number of different issues. Let me just start by generally saying one of the policy-related um, areas that we're most concerned about right now uh, are the administration's um, uh, posture towards clean energy and fossil fuels. Uh, earlier, we referenced how critical natural gas was to producing nitrogen. If you take China, for example, and one of the reasons that we're, we're seeing some of the challenge um, uh, of China shutting down uh, their exports is that it's all fueled by coal. Um, we all know the Olympics are coming up. Uh, there's a variety of reasons you can read about as to why perhaps some of that production has been curtailed, but um, we do rely heavily um, on uh, our fossil fuels, and that that is critical for providing farmers with fertilizer and people with food. And so as we approach these policy discussions, as we approach regulation, we have to ensure that we have strong energy supplies that also fuel fertilizer production. 
That doesn't mean our companies aren't committed to sustainability efforts and uh, even into investing in their own clean green blue ammonia production capacity, um, but that doesn't happen overnight. It's not a, it's not a light switch. Um, the other uh, area outside of transportation that we've, we've focused on a lot already um, is really path to market for innovative fertilizer products. So a couple of different examples uh, would be, you know, enhanced efficiency fertilizers, biostimulants that also play an important role in a sustainability nutrient stewardship uh, conversation and achieving some of our goals and objectives. Um, probably the biggest challenge we have is a path to market for those products. They aren't pesticides. They aren't traditional NPK fertilizers. So how do we ensure that farmers can have access to those uh, in the current regulatory environment? And you obviously have um, EPA, which which has... Uh, FIFRA to to um, regulate some of those uh, markets, some of those products rather. Um, but we also have 50 states with their own plant food um, control organizations, or APCO as we call them, and trying to harmonize 50 different states' uh, registration and approval processes for plant nutrient products is quite a challenge. So those are just a few of the regulatory um, uh, examples, and, and there's a whole uh, longer list. Um, at the end of the day, uh, on a stewardship standpoint, I, I don't think you would find another industry that's more committed to the environment, sustainability, and using uh, nutrient nutrients um, in a way that increases soil health and, and continues to produce food for the planet than the fertilizer industry. And uh, we, we just want to ensure that everyone recognizes those efforts. And uh, you probably saw we released uh, on Global Fertilizer Day back in October um, our industry's commitment to sustainability, which is to have 70 million acres under 4R nutrient stewardship management by 2030. Corey Rosenbush, we want to thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. Corey, it is Open Mic, and today you've got the last word. We definitely are living in interesting times, and as I've been speaking to various farmer groups doing briefings to commodity associations, uh, you know, the farmer has the right to succeed, too, and, and we have a great deal of sympathy towards um, the fact that fertilizer prices are going up. The commodity commodities that they grow are actually in a good marketplace, but um, we, we want to see them succeed, and we're dedicated to seeding, seeing them succeed. Um, we're here as a resource, so whether it's a farmer group, group on Capitol Hill, or a growers association, uh, please reach out to us, whether it's a call, getting on an airplane, or jumping on a webinar, we'd be happy to provide education and information about what's going on in the marketplace today, because I guarantee you it will likely change and shift in the months to come. Our thanks to Corey Rosenbush, President and CEO of the Fertilizer Institute, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Foreign subsidies are a threat to the U.S. sugar industry. Learn more about the Zero for Zero bill at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.